Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of GTI Insights, the Global Taiwan Institute's policy podcast. My name is Marshall Reed, and I'm a program manager here with GTI. And I'm Zoe Weaver-Lee, a program assistant at GTI. And today we're so excited to be joined by Mate Shemalchik, the executive director of the Central European Institute of Asian Studies in Bratislava, Slovakia. In addition to his work at CEIAS, Mate serves as an analyst at Map Influence and is a member of China Observers in Central and Eastern Europe for choice. At CEIAS, Mate does really fascinating research on China's relationships with Europe, with a particular emphasis on PRC influence campaigns and corruption networks, with a, a major emphasis on Central and Eastern Europe. A lawyer by trade, Mate has spoken and published around the world. Mate, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's great to be with you here today. Well, Mate, I'm so glad you could join us at what is really proving to be a crucial time for Central and Eastern Europe. Obviously, for the past several weeks to a month, the region and really the world as a whole has understandably been consumed by coverage of Russia's unprovoked invasion of Ukraine. For nations across Europe, the, the crisis increasingly seems to have served as something of an inflection point, clearly demonstrating that the grave threat to democracy is posed by revisionist authoritarian powers. In the wake of the invasion, commentators really around the world have drawn parallels to the People's Republic of China's increasingly aggressive efforts to integrate Taiwan. For Slovakia, which has recently waded into the China-Taiwan relationship by sending a large trade delegation to Taiwan, this comparison may hold additional salience. With all that in mind, we're, we're so glad to have you here to discuss Slovakia's views on the cross-strait relationship, as well as China's role in Central and Eastern Europe and the future of Europe's responses to authoritarian coercive efforts. So to kick things off and really set the stage a bit, we'd love to hear more about Slovakia's overall approach to the cross-strait relationship. So what are, what are Bratislava's top priorities and how does Slovakia view Taiwan and how does it view China? It's a great question to start us off. And uh, of course, uh, Slovakia's approach to both China and Taiwan is not really uh, a one-off thing or, 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 or uh, a simple thing in any way. It's certainly a multifaceted and multidimensional issue that we have to examine, dependent not only uh, on uh, the current affairs that are going on uh, around the world and, and in the cross-trade relations, but also on uh, Slovak domestic politics. Uh, where we see that different actors uh, that are partaking on the formulation of our foreign policy and security policy have differing views of both uh, China and uh, Taiwan. Um, to, we have to, you know, to examine the current uh, situation. We have to go a little bit back in the history, and of course. Uh, Everyone uh, knows that Slovakia used to be part of Czechoslovakia, part of the communist camp uh, between 1989, before 1989, which kind of predetermined its position uh, on its relations with China until uh, the fall of communism in the Central and Eastern Europe, where uh, first uh, Slovakia or, or Czechoslovakia was uh, allied or, or had a positive stance in China. Then after the Sino-Soviet split, of course, the stance uh, changed and uh, there was uh, a lot of reluctance in the relationship. Uh, and after the fall of communism, China was kind of forgotten in this area of the world, including in Slovakia, as uh, basically we can summarize that the main goal of foreign policy at the time was to integrate into the global West, into the global West which kind of became a thing in 2004 when Slovakia joined the EU and uh, NATO. Um, for relations with uh, China, the 
area around 2008 and 2009 was uh, a kind of new uh, point of new beginnings so because of the financial crisis that hit Europe. Slovakia was searching for new economic partners that could that could uh, restart or spark the economic growth. And for some politicians, China was seen as, as uh, the as uh, the potential partner to do this. Uh, of course, in 2012, China came to the region of Central and Eastern Europe with its own offer of starting the 16 plus one platform and to engage with the region via this uh, multilateral, let's say, from Chinese perspective of or uh, the bilateral from our perspective uh, platform where, you know, Slovakia along with others, other countries from the region joined in with the hope of attracting Chinese uh, investment or in uh, promoting uh, its own uh, exports to China. Of course, in the hindsight, uh, and uh, 10 years later, we can say that a lot of these um, interests were really not fulfilled. Uh, of course, some investments happened, but not in the amount that everyone hoped for in the beginning. And even though exports have grown, uh, imports from China have grown much faster. So, so actually, the uh, gap, the, the the gaps, uh, the gap between imports and export has grown uh, during this period. Of course, when we are talking about relations uh, with China, uh, they were somewhat connected also to the relations uh, with uh, with Taiwan, where we have seen that for many actors that were promoting relations with China, Taiwan was uh, seen as as a country uh, where with which. We should not have uh, any sort of very visible relations because it could be detrimental to the to the goal of uh, establishing uh, deeper engagement with China. However, uh, we have to say though that uh, Taiwan did not completely disappear from the political map uh, in Slovakia. Taiwan Taiwanese companies over time uh, emerged as important investors. Um, in, in the region, including in Slovakia. I think a year ago, we actually did a short and a small analysis on this, how comparing the levels of uh, economic benefits brought forward by uh, different uh, East Asian investors, including from China, from, from Taiwan, from, from Japan and South Korea. And we have seen that, that basically for Slovakia, Taiwanese companies provided a little bit more economic benefits than the Chinese ones, despite the fact that uh, Taiwan was uh, not really being uh, curtsied by uh, the political representation at the time. Uh, since 2003, uh, there is a Taipei representative office in Slovakia, which was uh, actually the last such office to be established in uh, the EU before Lithuania did so uh, last year. So, uh, of course, both both kinds of relationships were uh, developing simultaneously, although uh, since um, the whole uh, political spectrum in Slovakia has kind of been dominated since 2006 by uh, governments uh, led by the Social Democrats, uh, which had more China-friendly stance compared uh, to the parties that are more on the right side of the political spectrum. We have seen that, that basically Taiwan was not really being talked about, even though in the opposition at the time, we could see a lot of politicians who had very critical stances on China, on human rights, on uh, Chinese activities uh, in Tibet, for example, but also on uh, Chinese activities via Taiwan. Nowadays, since uh, 2020, uh, the political landscape has actually shifted in Slovakia, where we currently uh, have a completely different government uh, in place since the February 2020 elections, uh, which uh, does not include the Social Democrats anymore. It's mostly, mostly uh, parties uh, on the right side of the political spectrum. But now, as they are in power, the policy on uh, 
China and Taiwan has really uh, shifted in a way that Slovakia became quite critical of China internationally, uh, you know, supporting various resolutions, for example, on the human rights situation. It was quite vocal in uh, criticizing China, how it handled the COVID-19 pandemic, on spreading disinformation surrounding that, of course, also on the human rights related issues like Tibet, Hong Kong. Uh, Slovakia was really, really among those countries that spoke up. Uh, and at the same time, of course, uh, Slovakia was trying to restart or renew the relationship with Taiwan going beyond the traditional scope of uh, purely economic interaction and uh, not having really any uh, any political engagement. And, and this has really changed in the past uh, two years. Uh, we had a, a visit from Joseph Wu to Slovakia, for example, last, uh, last year uh, in October. Uh, last summer, Slovakia and Taiwan signed an extradition treaty even, which is really a political development that, that does not really concern with the, with the economic relations, which were mostly with the economic relations on which Slovakia mostly focused on the Taiwan in the past. Great. And thank you for, for giving such a really comprehensive overview of what is like a lot of countries, I think, in the region, a, a pretty complex relationship with both China and Taiwan. And I think Slovakia has been really interesting to watch as it's kind of, you know, as, as governments have shifted and as it's shifted its position on China and Taiwan. You mentioned that there, there has been a movement in recent years, particularly over the last two years, to really expand the relationship between Taiwan and Slovakia. And I think, you know, and a great example of that is what I mentioned a bit earlier and what I'd love to talk a little bit more about, which was the, the, the delegation in December of last year led by Slovakian Deputy Economic Minister Karol Galek, which visited Taiwan, met with several leaders, and you know, really was a remarkable departure from past policy on Taiwan. Can you, can you talk a little bit about the rationale behind this delegation? You know, was this an isolated event, or was this the start of what you hope or what you think is a more productive Slovakia-Taiwan relationship? You're absolutely right in saying that this is a departure from the previous policy, and this 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 shift really happened uh, thanks to that political change that occurred in 2020. The rationale behind the visit was really closely tied to the desire of uh, further developing the economic relations with Taiwan, especially. Uh, you know, Slovakia is a country heavily dependent on uh, automotive industry, which of course in and of itself is dependent on the uh, supply of semiconductors. The supply chain of semiconductors, we all know, was quite disrupted over the pandemic, and the Taiwan is one of the, or is the main uh, producer of semiconductors. So uh, one of the most important uh, reasons behind this visit was uh, trying to kind of participate on the value chain uh, or on the production chain of semiconductors uh, that could be developed in uh, within uh, Europe in the coming years in collaboration with uh, with Taiwan. Uh, and, and this, of course, featured quite uh, highly on the agenda, of, even though it was not, of course, not the only only point on the agenda. Um, other areas of interest for uh, from the economic perspective for Slovakia were focused, for example, uh, on uh, collaboration in areas like like smart cities and smart industries, kind of bringing uh, forth uh, the digitalization of uh, of uh, industries um, and uh, on digitization of of, of governance. Uh, Slovakia, with which uh, Taiwan has a lot of experience uh, participating or, or helping uh, to establish uh, new education centers for future 
Slovak students in high-tech areas. And, and these kind of uh, things are really uh, high on the agenda for Slovaks when it comes to Taiwan. The visit itself was quite quite long in the making, actually, and, and it happened after quite some delay as it, as it was being uh, postponed several times over COVID-related restrictions. But finally, it happened last year uh, in December. Uh, during that time, of course, we have seen that a lot of uh, agreements and memoranda were, were signed. Uh, but of course, we, we should not be uh, hasty in saying that just because some kind of memorandum was signed, this is, this is a major uh, development. We, we still have to wait and see to see whether whether this will bring uh, practical results uh, in reality. And this is something that, of course, uh, will need a little bit more uh, time to mature. But uh, I'm, I'm mildly optimistic that uh, this will this will happen. Uh, even before this visit, uh, there was a lot of uh, goodwill being shown between the two countries. A lot of that actually tied to the pandemic. Uh, if you you will probably uh, recall that uh, Slovakia was uh, one of the few countries that donated vaccines to Taiwan last year, and and before that, a year before that, uh, Taiwan was actually uh, providing some aid also to to Slovakia uh, in terms of uh, PPE, which there was a lack of in in Europe at the time. So 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 this kind of reciprocity in in healthcare aid uh, was really well received on uh, on both sides, especially on the Taiwanese side, where we could see you know this kind of uh, images images of Taipei uh, 101 being uh, lit up in Slovak colors and, and similar similar uh, shows of, of of gratitude. One of the uh, really uh, interesting pieces uh, uh, that that came out of that was you know that one of the one of uh, food producers in Taiwan actually had a had a special line of cookies being developed with uh, boxes saying thank you Slovakia that were being uh, sold. Uh, I, I managed to get a hand on some of those. They were, they were really nice. And the boxes are really somewhat of a collectible, I, I guess. <laughs> well, great. I, I think all that, uh, those are some great points. Um, I, I think there's a common theme here as, you, as you're talking about this growing relationship with Taiwan, and that is kind of the economic aspect of things. Um, yeah, it seems that much of Slovakia's relationship with Taiwan has been built on trade and investment and industry cooperation. So from your point of view, what makes Slovakia a unique economic partner to Taiwan? Well, for, for Taiwan, of course, the, the main benefit that Slovakia can uh, provide is its uh, really central position within uh, within the EU. Uh, if you look on uh, who are Slovakia's competitors, main competitors in the area, it would be uh, Czech Republic and Hungary. Um, and, and there are some benefits that Slovakia can offer compared to these two. Uh, the main one would be probably that Slovakia has a, has a, is a member of Eurozone, unlike uh, the other two. So, so that makes uh, trading in uh, an internationally recognized currency like you are much easier, unlike with Hungary, where you still have the Hungarian currency, foreigns, and, and the, the Czech crowns and Czech Republic. Uh, the position within the EU is for Slovakia is really quite central, which makes logistics quite uh, easy. Uh, you know, and when you for in, in this regard, we can, for example, compare Slovakia and Lithuania, which has also been uh, very friendly with Taiwan recently. But but Lithuania is really much uh, much more on the periphery of the EU, while Slovakia is much more much more in the center, which is really a tangible benefit when it comes to logistics, for example. Of course, uh, being a member uh, of the EU, Slovakia is really embedded into the single market, which makes. Uh, it's uh, very easy to further distribute products uh, from Slovakia, Taiwanese products from made in Slovakia, for example, further within the EU. Um, 
there is uh, a long-term tradition with uh, automotive industry, with machinery, for example. So you have a lot of skilled uh, labor force in this in these areas. Uh, of course, there are um, there are some problems as well. It's not that we are a perfect country, but of, uh, so so in this sense, Slovakia can also gain gain a lot from Taiwan, for example, by educating uh, future workforce workforce in in uh, several uh, high tech industries, for example, for which Taiwan is known, especially in the semiconductors. Well, that's great. Um, that that makes total sense. And I think a lot of these changes that you're talking about, as you discussed pretty thoroughly, is that that they're happening a lot at the governmental level. But I'd I'd also like to hear that change at the populist level as well. So, I mean, considering the recent developments in Ukraine and Taiwan's elevated name recognition in recent years, um, have you seen Slovakian public opinion toward China and Taiwan change over time as well? Uh, it's certainly changing, especially when it comes to the public opinion of uh, China. Actually, uh, to, in the second half of 2020, we did a, a large-scale uh, public opinion survey on public opinions of China across uh, various European countries. Uh, Slovakia was, of course, one of the surveyed countries, and what we have seen was basically that uh, not only Slovak population has uh, more of a negative perception of China rather than positive. We have also seen that the the, the, the opinions have gotten uh, quite worse in the three years preceding uh, this survey. Uh, a lot of that is, of course, tied to uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, which was really uh, a main reason for such uh, drops in uh, favorability of China across Europe, including in uh, in Slovakia. Uh, China, of course, tried to react to this with uh, its own uh, propaganda campaign, but it was not very uh, effective, I would have to say. For example, when we asked the respondents to list a spontaneous uh, kind of association uh, with China, one of the most repeated associations was COVID-19. So clearly, Chinese uh, aim to disassociate itself from, from the uh, pandemic didn't really uh, didn't really uh, work out. Uh, and this is not really unique to Slovakia. This is a trend that, that we can see across the whole of Europe uh, that uh, with few exceptions, uh, most countries see worsening uh, views of China uh, in light of the pandemic, in light of the new revelations about human rights abuses in Xinjiang, for example. And, and we can actually uh, kind of cluster the European countries into several uh, several groups according to how favorably or unfavorably they see China. And there is a clear trend, really, that, uh, for that the countries in the Western Europe and Northern Europe are the most critical ones. Uh, those in uh, Central Europe and South Europe, so, so like Slovakia, Hungary, Italy, uh, for example, are somewhere in the middle, but, but still more critical rather than positive. And then uh, in the Southeast Europe and East Europe, so, so like Serbia, Russia, you see really a, a lot of positive views of China, which makes sense given the geopolitical uh, realities uh, of, of Eastern Europe. Uh, but it's really an interesting uh, trend to observe. As for Taiwan, of course, most people here have a more favorable uh, view of, of Taiwan than China. Uh, however, uh, actually what we have seen in our survey was that there is a, actually a lot of, uh, let's say, neutral opinions or ambivalent opinions, which probably uh, is something that uh, Taiwan needs to work with in the future to improve its own image in the, re in the region, simply because uh, my feeling is that still a lot of people don't really know that much about Taiwan. So, so there, there is clearly some room for, 
future uh, engagement with the Slovak uh, public via uh, via various uh, tools of cultural diplomacy, for example. Great. Well, I, I'd like to pull on something you just said there that there has been this sort of rising tide against China across Europe, and I like to talk about really the, the strongest example of that, really the most visible one, which has been Lithuania, as you mentioned earlier, which made waves throughout, really around the world, by being the first country to withdraw from the 16 plus one initiative, which, as you mentioned earlier, is a, a China-led semi-multilateral grouping of, of China and Central and Eastern European states. And subsequently, Lithuania has you know, furthered the dispute by expanding ties with Taiwan. And in retaliation, China has, really aggressively and visibly work to isolate the small Baltic nation, cutting it off from really all trade and condemning it diplomatically around the world. I'd be interested in Bratislava, you know, has Slovakia learned any lessons from the Lithuania-China dispute? Uh, and has the PRC's treatment of Lithuania worked to deter other European nations from reaching out to Taiwan, or has it really just furthered this kind of tide of bad feelings towards China? Certainly, the case of uh, China and Lithuania is a very important one to observe. And uh, of course, uh, everyone that somewhat deals with China has been observing this, uh, not only in, in, in the Central and Eastern Europe, but globally. With regards to this, uh, you know, I, I think we are observing somewhat mixed results out of that, because of course, when you talk to people, you, you hear some of them uh, being a little bit nervous about the engagement with Taiwan. Uh, nowadays in light of what's happening in Lithuania and, and uh, maybe there there is a little bit of a desire to tone, tone down the, the relationship to make it more uh, realistic, let's say. But at the same time, you see that other countries are not really being deterred yet. So, for example, it was very interesting to observe Slovenia, which uh, shortly after this whole conundrum with Lithuania came to be, Prime Minister Jensen came, came out and, and uh, really uh, supported Lithuania publicly and, and himself said that uh, Slovenia is willing to work more with Taiwan. So, so clearly it's such a deterrent effect that China hoped for uh, did not really uh, manifest. Important thing to observe in this case was that uh, to, to, let's say, to punish Lithuania, China did not go only uh, after purely uh, bilateral economic uh, links, and it really uh, kind of put in the rest of the uh, European Union into this conflict uh, by targeting uh, entire value chains. Uh, so, for example, German companies which export to China but source some of the, their inputs from, from Lithuania, which was really a departure from uh, previous, uh, previous practice that China was uh, using in, uh, in kind of uh, reacting to any sort of perceived uh, affronts uh, against Chinese core interests. So uh, when we have uh, looked at how China reacted in the past to various, um, various breaches of what China describes as its own red lines, uh, we have usually seen that, of course, there was a lot of, um, a lot of negative rhetoric, some, some uh, diplomatic consequences, that it was uh, more difficult for, for those countries' diplomats to engage with, uh, with the MFA and other, other agencies in Beijing. But on the economic level, it was usually just uh, quite symbolic uh, sanctions. 
So if you would recall, for example, the visit to Taiwan by Miloš Vistachil, the Czech uh, president of the Senate in 2019, the reaction of China on the economic level uh, included what? Uh, some cancelled contracts for purchases of pianos and similar symbolic things, which do not really uh, matter in any sense for the overall economic well-being of the country. Similarly, if you look back on uh, the case of Norway, there was a reason to believe that, that uh, you know, awarding uh, Nobel Peace Prize to, to one of the Chinese dissidents was a reason why Norwegian salmon disappeared from Chinese market, but, uh, but really it was not that of a big deal for the economy as a whole. Uh, and now with Lithuania, there was a clear, really a clear departure because uh, the retaliation was much more holistic, much more comprehensive, which of course makes uh, everyone uh, worried, uh, but in the long term, this will be really to China's uh, detriment and it will only fuel the discussions about some sort of uh, decoupling from China or reducing uh, our dependence on China in uh, some in, in, in crucial sectors. Absolutely. And, and I think that's definitely something that we at GTI have been paying close attention to as well as this trend continues. Um, but I, I would like to uh, shift topics here a little bit. I mean, we would, you know, given the timing of this interview, I think we'd be remiss not to address the ongoing Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, and based on what we've seen so far, do you think the unified European response to Russia's aggression could serve as kind of a, a template for confronting Chinese aggression as well? Uh, to some extent, yes. Uh, you know, uh, of course, uh, as we are observing the conflict in Ukraine, uh, a lot of the discussion was also going, uh, what was happening about what will happen in case China would attack uh, Taiwan. And of course, I believe that uh, China is also closely observing what's going on in the uh, light of uh, Russian uh, aggression towards Ukraine and the global reaction to it. Uh, because I, I, I think it's safe to say that, that uh, for some time, China was used to EU being a very slow, passive actor, which would take a long time to come up with any sort of uh, any sort of decision to to do something about uh, global issues. Um, and and uh, I mean, we, of course, we do not see inside the, the heads of Chinese leadership, but I, but I would assume that they kind of uh, bet on the, on, the, on the fact that uh, if they decided to attack Taiwan, it would be taken long time to reach any sort of uh, conclusion on the part of the West, that there will be a lot of uh, actors kind of uh, saying that we should not engage in uh, robust sanctions because it would dam be damaging to the economy due to the levels of uh, interconnectedness. Uh, but but uh, this current situation, it really shows to the world that when put under such serious pressure, EU and the rest of the global West can react very swiftly and very resolutely because scope of sanctions adopted against uh, against the Russian regime, against Putin's regimes, uh, are really unprecedented and, and, uh, and very robust. And uh, China now will have to face the dilemma whether, whether similar scope of response would come, uh, would be put against it um, in case it decided to attack uh, Taiwan, for example. Um, whether this will happen, uh, if such an event would uh, arise, that of course remains questionable. But, but uh, for, for now, China will definitely have to at least calculate with this, uh, with this uh, option. 
However, what kind of differentiates the current situation in Ukraine with the one that would that could potentially arise in the in the Straits is uh, really the, it, it relates to the fact that for many of the European countries, the crisis in Ukraine is is really felt as much more immediate and and warranting such a robust uh, response, which could which would not have to be necessarily the case uh, if war were to emerge in the Taiwan Straits. So, so for, to illustrate this, oftentimes when you have discussions with policymakers and in, in Slovakia or in other Central European countries, you will hear, uh, of course, that yeah, we need to do something about China. It's it's uh, a risk. It's a, it's a challenge that we need to uh, deal with. But Russia is closer. It's a more immediate threat, and we need to pay more attention to it. So, so, so. Uh, the, this kind of uh, level of uh, immediateness of the threat is felt much uh, strongly, much more strongly with regards to Russia than with regards to China, which could have impact on the levels of reaction. Of course, when we are talking about uh, Taiwan, it will be much for Taiwanese themselves, it will be much more important to see how the US will react rather than the Europeans, because of uh, the whole uh, in the Pacific uh, theater of operation, the US will be uh, much more important in that conflict, while uh, European nations, of course, are uh, much uh, more important with regards to Ukraine, precisely because they are in the board, right at the borders. Sure. Well, great. I, I think you've done a great job of really showing and you know, shedding light on Slovakia's really unique role right in the center of Europe and really playing this, this fascinating role vis-a-vis -vis China and Taiwan. I'd like to really close on kind of a broader question looking towards the future. Turning back to the Slovakia-Taiwan relationship, you've given a lot of background on it. I'd, I'd like to, to see, you know, pick your brain a little bit. What do you envision for the future of this relationship between Slovakia and Taiwan? You know, are there particular areas, industries, you know, areas of congruence between the two that the two could cooperate on? Uh, definitely, you know, I, and I said this already, one of the biggest attractions for Slovakia towards Taiwan is the semiconductor industry. Slovak industry, Slovak GDP is really highly dependent on automotive industry, which faced a lot of disruptions. Uh, so it would be really the biggest contribution that Taiwan could make uh, towards Slovakia would be um, to work with Slovakia in securing the semiconductor supply chains in uh, Europe. We already see some exploratory work being done on this to see how, what role, what kind of role Slovakia can play in the whole whole supply chain. Of course, Slovakia is a tiny country, so we should not expect that the entire value chain would be, uh, and the entire production chain would be localized here, that that would be uh, very uh, naive to think. But uh, I think what we can hope for would be a, some sort of uh, CEE-based decentralized production chain where uh, Slovakia would be uh, participating on, on, in uh, one part of the production process and in Czech Republic and another part, and Hungary and another part, Poland and another part and so forth. So, so this would be uh, um, the most important area for collaboration. Uh, I think, of course, uh, if we go uh, beyond the uh, economics, uh, it, it could be very interesting to see how uh, Taiwan will, uh, for example, cooperate on, uh, on the academic level. Uh, and there are clearly some opportunities, not only in the tech sectors or in the technology-related uh, tertiary education, 
but also in humanities and social sciences. Just to illustrate, there is a clear lack of uh, university-level education being provided in, a, in a modern Asian studies, for example. What we see currently is that the entire uh, education process on uh, Chinese language, for example, at the universities is strongly dependent on the existing Confucius Institutes in Slovakia, where uh, Taiwan could be providing some sort of alternative offer to universities. So if they wish to engage in China focus or Chinese language education, that will be uh, free from the from this kind of uh, baggage that Confucius Institutes. Of course, there are many other areas uh, where we can we can hope for cooperation. Uh, as there is some some interest in uh, in uh, smart cities, uh, in the uh, pharmaceutical industry, for example, and and what uh, another uh, potential area where we could where the relationship could be very helpful is not only in this kind of big investments, but making smaller contributions as well. Uh, already, we see that there is, for example, quite vibrant uh, startup scene in uh, in Slovakia in uh, various sectors, including uh, blockchain, uh, airspace, whatever. And these smaller companies, startups, are constantly seeking, for example, for various uh, funding, either the venture capital or private equity capital, uh, where Taiwanese venture capitalists, for example, could make a contribution to them and thus a kind of solidified the Taiwanese economic presence uh, in the region. Great. Well, Mate, thank you again for, for sharing all, for all your perspectives. I mean, I think it's... I think you're talking to us at an interesting time for Slovakia's relationship with China and Taiwan. It really seems to be in the midst of a, a, a pretty profound shift, which has been really interesting to watch. I think it's it's clear that a lot remains uncertain about Slovakia's future policies, but I think you've clarified so much about this relationship. So thank you again for joining us. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Well, thank you to all our listeners for joining us for another episode of GTI Insights. Many thanks also to the great staff and interns at GTI for all their help with every step of producing this podcast. If you're interested in learning more about GTI, be sure to check out our website at globaltaiwan.org, where you can find information about our Global Taiwan Brief, our other podcasts, and our frequent public seminars. You can also listen to more episodes of GTI Insights on Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever else you get your podcasts. Until next time, this has been GTI Insights.